and I am reading from John chapter 21. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, in, in, in his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Dr. Mary Neal is an orthopedic surgeon who shares her medical practice and her love for outdoor adventure with her husband, Bill. In 1999, they planned an adventure that took Mary on a spiritual journey few have taken and returned to talk about. My husband and I really enjoy kayaking. We enjoy traveling. We speak Spanish. We've traveled internationally a number of times. And so for my husband's birthday, I said, okay, this is the year we're we're going to do it. So we went to Chile for a vacation to kayak. After a week of kayaking, Bill sat out the final day with a sore back. Mary and the rest of their group kayaked through a treacherous stretch of the river. These are drops of 10 to 15 feet, 20 feet maybe, which for an experienced kayaker is not a crazy thing. I went over the main drop, and as I crested over the drop, I could see the tremendous turbulence and tremendous volume. And as I hit the bottom of the drop, the front end of my boat became pinned. I and my boat were immediately and completely submerged. I was absolutely pressed to the front deck of the boat. And I couldn't move my arms even back far enough to reach my spray skirt, let alone push myself out. I very sincerely asked that God's will be done. And I meant it. After several minutes of searching, the group leaders realized Mary was trapped under the falls. They came out on the rocks and they kept trying to get to the boat, but the force and the volume of the water was such that they just kept being flushed through. I mean, they just couldn't get to me. At one point, they sort of recognized that it was really turning into body recovery. Uh, not so much of a rescue. I know I've been underwater too long to be alive, yet I feel more alive than I've ever felt. And this is more real than anything I've ever experienced. Dr. Mary Neal was under the water for 15 minutes. They worked on her another 15 minutes until she revived. And Dr. Mary Neal has the answer to what every one of us wonder. 
What happens when we die? Is there a God? Is heaven real? And if so, does that heaven have a plan for me? And what Dr. Neal says is, yep. Yep. There's an old joke that goes this way. Three guys were playing poker one night, and one asked, uh, what, what do you want people to say at your funeral? And one said, I want them to say that I was a brilliant doctor and that I saved a lot of lives. And the other said, I want them to say that I was a devoted and loving father to my kids. And the third one said, I want them to look and say, he's moving. Now, that is the oldest joke in the world. And if you've never heard that before, I pity you. But I bring it up because more and more people in our world are saying, look, he's moving. Gallup poll did a survey and they uh, estimate that 13 million Americans have had a near-death Experience. That's one out of every 25 people in the United States. Um, Near-death experience, we're going to shorten into NDE, just for sake of uh, uh, ease and so that we don't have to say it all the time uh, in the next few weeks. And that's what NDE stands for, near-death experience, where some have no heartbeat, there are no brain waves, people are clinically dead, and yet... They are brought back to life in some way, and some have experiences that they have while they're dead, and they share those. And what they say that they experienced while they were on the other side is, I'll give you this, it's hard for us to believe, okay? Uh, But what if, what if this life is not all there is? What if this life is just the beginning to a very real story that is more exhilarating than anything that we've ever imagined or experienced here on earth. The truth is that God's kind of been telling that, us that all along, right? And that's what we're going to explore in the next uh, few weeks together. And we'll listen to some very credible people like Dr. Mary Neal, and they'll tell us their stories. And um, These are people who died and have been resuscitated and have a story to tell about what they've experienced, and you're not going to want to miss any of those. So let me start with John Burke's story. He's the author of this book, Imagine Heaven. John Burke, 35 years ago, found himself in a place where he was in college, but his dad was dying of cancer, and his dad on his nightstand had a book called Life After Life, and that book actually was the book that coined the term near-death experience, or NDE. And after reading that, he didn't really believe in God or Jesus or any of that. All he believed in was the next party, because he's a typical college kid, right? But after he reads this book, he reads it in one night, he's blown away and thinks, maybe God is real. And if he is, I need to figure that out. And so he spent time in the next year getting with people and getting with scripture. And he found faith and he, come to, he came to found a church. And over the years since then, 35 years, he has compiled over a thousand, up to a thousand near-death experiences that he has researched. And he's come to the conclusion that they reveal what the scriptures already say to us. But they do it in a way that helps us to imagine how great heaven is going to be. And so, if you're skeptical, one of the things that we hope that you will see is evidence that heaven, an afterlife, is absolutely real. If you're a believer, we hope that you will see how real it is so that it will make a difference in how you live even today. And so, let me say as we begin, and we'll echo this throughout our journey, please, you should never 
um, you should always be skeptical of just one story or a handful of stories. I mean, some, some stories, just let's just be honest, they're insane and they're bizarre, okay? So it's dangerous to, to take a few of those kind of stories and develop a theory of the afterlife and a theology of the after, afterlife. But that's not what has been done in this book. John, what he has done is he's taken these stories from nearly a thousand stories. He includes 120 of them in his book. And he shows what the common elements are in those stories. And then he lines those up with scripture. And the results are, let's just say they're pretty compelling. And so what are the common elements among those stories? I want to give you four today. Number one is that Indy Ears report... Uh, this common experience that they are out of their body, but they are in a new body. Okay, that's a common element of these reports. Each of us kind of has an uneasiness about how life is going to end and what's going to happen. Will, it, will everything just go be black? Will there be pain? Will I have fear or will I have peace? And what Indy Ears report is that they leave their body, but they remain in the same vicinity, actually looking back on or looking down on their lifeless body. And so they're out of their body, but they're in a new body. Now, cardiologist uh, Dr. Michael Sabom uh, did not believe in any of this until he had a patient named Pete. And Pete w- uh, died on the table. He coded and had to be resuscitated back to life. And after he resuscitated Pete and he was uh, talking with him after the recovery, he said, I had an experience and I was able to see what you guys were doing to me in that room. And the doctor said, "Uh, you need to explain that a little more. And in detail, he described the resuscitation that had taken place with him. And Dr. Sabom said this, he described the resuscitation with such accuracy that I could have later used it to teach physicians how to do resuscitations. Dr. Sabom said he then did five years of research on NDEs. He published his findings in a book. He also published them in the Journal of American Medical Association. There's another doctor who read that article. His name is Dr. Long. He's a radiation oncologist. He didn't buy NDEs either, but... He was with dinner, uh, he was with his friends at dinner one night, and one of them talked about, well, I had a food allergy in the past, and it caused me to code on the table. I died on the table. And Dr. Long said, um, he decided to probe a little bit. By chance, did anything happen to you when you were out and coded on the table? And very hesitantly, she started to share her story. She said, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of find my, found myself at the ceiling level, and I was looking back, and I could see the EKG machine, and I could see that it had flatlined, and the doctors and nurses are frantically trying to save my lifeless body. Uh, it's complete chaos down there, but up in the corner, I am at peace, and I am totally free of pain. And later, this tunnel opened up, and I felt myself being pulled up through the tunnel, I became aware of a bright light at the end of the tunnel. That's, that's common among these stories. But I felt peaceful. And then I found myself in an area of really beautiful, mystical light. And some of my loved ones who had already passed on were there. And we had this joyous reunion. And we embraced because we had real physical bodies. And that's what we did. And I found myself also at another time with a mystical 
being of overwhelming love and compassion. And he asked me, do you want to go back? And I knew it was my choice. It was a really hard choice because I was in a realm of overwhelming love and I knew that I was truly home, but I did return to my body and I woke up in the ICU a few days later, tubes everywhere, and I could not talk about my profound experience. And since that night, where his friend shared with him, Dr. Long has collected and scientifically studied thousands of these kind of accounts, and he has this to say. NDEs provide such powerful scientific evidence that it is reasonable to accept the existence of an afterlife. That's a huge statement to make. There's another medical journal called The Lancelet, and it published another account of a patient having a cardiac arrest and not breathing, and he was brought in, uh, and at the time that they were working on him, a tube was being placed in his airway to ventilate him, and they they noted that he had upper dentures, and so they took the dentures out, and they were uh, placed in a crash drawer, and um, he remained comatose for about a week. After that, he came out of it. He reported having an out-of-body experience. He accurately described the week prior and the people that were in the room as they tried to resuscitate him and uh, what they did. Uh, But a week later, nobody could find his dentures. Nobody knew where they were. He said, I know where they are because I saw the nurse take them out of my mouth and go into the next room over and put them in the crash cart drawer, and it's the second one from the top. You'll find them there. And it's incidents like these that have led many to conclude that NDEs are real. These are clinically dead people describing things that they couldn't possibly have seen unless they were outside their body from a different vantage point watching what was happening. Both adults report this and children. And so the very, the very clear picture that we get is that when you die, you leave this body behind, but you are still you, but you are in a new body. And science kind of tells us the same thing, right? Science says that every single cell in your body dies and gets replaced every two weeks. And so, quite literally, you are not the same physical person that you were a month ago. You are a completely new you. And a lot of us are like, shouldn't I get a say in where the new parts go? Like, if I could just mix them around a little bit, right? But we can't. We are more than our body. That's what the Bible has been telling us for thousands of years. The Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road, encounters a man of blinding light, just like many indie ears report. He realized that Jesus was Lord and Christ, but he still had to choose to follow Jesus. That's another thing that indie ears report, that they have a choice whether to follow Jesus. Paul goes on following Jesus. He starts churches across the Roman Empire. And in Acts chapter 14, we get this incident where enemies have stoned Paul to death. They leave him for dead. The believers group around him, and I'm sure that they were probably thinking we need to do a funeral here, and all of a sudden he gets up and he walks back into town. And later in 2 Corinthians, he writes this. He says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows that. But I do know that I was caught up into a paradise, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed with words, 
things no human is allowed to tell. Does that sound kind of like what we're talking about? Absolutely. Out of body, new body. But we will be ourselves. As a matter of fact, you will be more yourself than ever. That's commonality number two. And that's what uh, even Dr. Mary Neal talked about in her little interview. I felt more alive than ever. When most people imagine heaven, usually they imagine something less real than this world. We imagine something less tangible, something kind of fuzzy, ethereal, or cloudy. The word we use a lot is boring, boring. I don't know if I really want to go to heaven because I think it's going to be boring. There's a far far side cartoon that has two guys sitting on a cloud and they're in heaven and they're whistling, just you know, kind of twiddling their thumbs and passing the time. And one guy says to the next, I wish I would have brought a magazine or something because that's what we think of heaven. We think of heaven as one endless church service and we think boring. Now, I love church, but... One endless church service, that sounds sounds bad even to me, and I'm the guy in charge of it, okay? All right? The ironic truth is that this life is the boring one. This life is the one that gets frustrating because as good as it can be, this life was not what we were created for. Hebrews chapter 8 says that there's the way we're doing things on earth is just a system. It's just a shadow. It's just a copy of of what's going on in heaven. The real one is there. We're just the shadow. Don Piper was pronounced uh, dead for 90 minutes by emergency services. And uh, this is after an 18-wheeler literally ran over the top of his car. And in that 90 minutes, he spent, uh, he had this experience in heaven. And he describes uh, this. He says, uh, as I looked around heaven, I could hardly grasp the vivid, dazzling colors. Every hue and tone surpassed anything I'd ever seen. I had all heightened awareness of my senses. I felt as if I had never seen, as if I had never heard, as if I had never felt anything so real before. It was all that overwhelming. NDEers report not just experiencing five senses, but dozens of senses, senses that we've never known all heightened in experience. There's enhanced vision that they talk about. They talk about seeing things really up close and you can see miles away and you can see very accurately even for miles. They experience uh, colors that they've never experienced before. They experience music that is unlike and more amazing than anything on earth. Do you have some music that you really don't like here on earth? Jazz. (laughs) Some of you. You get to leave it behind. There's better stuff in heaven. That's awesome. And there is a light in heaven that they report that is unlike anything on earth. And the light is worth a closer look. Vicky is a lady who is blind from birth. And Vicky flatlined after a bad car accident. And she realized that she was outside of her body. She was looking down on her body. And for the first time in her existence, she could see. How is that possible? She had, uh, uh, she had to get used to that. She, getting used to visual perception took some time, but she said, I finally realized what was happening, that that was me on the table because I recognized my long hair. It's down to my waist. I recognize that my wedding ring, it's very unique. And I knew that that was me, but I was not there. I was detached from my body, but I was fully myself. I had a distinct form and a body. And she said, I was made out of light. 
And she found herself going up through the familiar dark tube that a lot of them talk about. She found herself on grass where there were trees and flowers and a vast number of people surrounded her in this tremendous uh, world of light. And the light, she said, was something you could feel as well as see. Even the people she saw were bright. Everything was made of light and the light conveyed love, absolute love. Love. There was love everywhere. It was like love love was coming from the grass in the light. It was coming out of the birds. It was coming out of the trees. It was this incredible, really beautiful, overwhelming experience because I had never been able to imagine what light was like because I was blind. That's my best Ron Burgundy, by the way. That's as good as it gets. But what's amazing is Vicky. And other blind people who have never seen before describe light coming out of things. Now, that's a way that we would never describe light, right? We describe light as shining onto things. And yet, that's exactly what we find in Scripture. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. John says in Revelation that he sees a city in heaven that has no need of sun or moon For the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb, Jesus, is its light and the nations walk in its light. Things are infused with light in heaven. And it's amazing that blind people who have never even seen before describe describe that in the very same way. And what people consistently say is this, that this place is home. It's where we belong. We are more alive than ever. And part of the reason that it's home is because of the people that will be there. Number four, uh, I'm sorry, number three is relationships, that love is the point of it all. Now, we're going to spend some time on relationships next week, and so I'm not going to do a lot here. But let's just say that, this, that we get solid affirmations of what the Bible exclaims to us already, that relationships matter here and they matter in heaven. But in heaven, they'll go to new depths But the most important relationship is the one you have with God. So number four is a being of light and a life review. Commonality among all the uh, indie ears that report, uh, whether they're young people, whether they're old, whether they're from this country or India or no matter where they are around the globe, they describe meeting this being of light who they instinctively know to be God even if they never believed in God. Believers know this instantly to be Jesus. Those who don't know who he is, but they begin to describe describe him, describe him in such a way that all of us who are believers would say, you're talking about Jesus. Dr. George Ritchie is a psychiatrist at the University of Virginia, and he died of pneumonia. He was dead long enough that he actually has a death certificate to prove it. (laughs) And he didn't realize that he was dead, but... Uh, he's looking at his lifeless body and he puts two and two together. And he said, the minute I put together that I was dead and looking at my body, a light came into the room. And he says this about it. It was impossibly bright. It was like a million welder's lamps. And I thought this light's going to destroy my retinas in a tenth of a second. It's a good thing I'm dead. But he said, no, I corrected myself. It's not the light. It's he. He would be too bright to look at. Because I saw that it wasn't just the light that had entered a room, it was a man. It was a man made out of light, and I knew instantly this person was Jesus. I had learned about Jesus as a kid in Sunday school, 
And in Sunday school, they had always told me that he was gentle and mild and meek. And so I pictured kind of a weakling. But this was anything but that. This man had power and it was infused with unconditional love and a love that overwhelmed me. It was an astonishing love, a love beyond my wildest imagining. And this love knew every unlovable thing about me. It knew my quarrels with my stepmother, my explosive temper, the sexual thoughts that I could never control, every mean and selfish thought and action since the day I was born. It knew about, he knew about, but he loved me and accepted me just the same. And when I say that he knew everything about me, it was simply an observable fact. He said, into that room, when he came in, also came in every single episode of my entire life. Everything that had happened to me was simply there in front of me, and I could see it in full view, all taking place, all at the same moment. How that was possible, I have no idea. But I'm, I'm staring at myself at the blackboard in third grade. I'm staring at myself getting my Eagles badge when I'm a teenager. I'm staring at myself wheeling my grandpa around in the yard in his wheelchair. Hundreds and thousands of scenes all illuminated by that searing light in an existence where time seemed to have ceased. And what's amazing about this is how consistent that is across all NDE accounts. This life review in the presence of this man of light who is unconditional love and yet who knows everything, every thought, every deed, every motive across the globe. Thousands report this. But isn't that what we should expect? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. He says uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden and in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. And all of this in the middle of overwhelming love. And that's what the Apostle John writes to us, that God is love. One of the things that this life review thing reinforces to us is that God is the God of second chances. He knows you inside and out, but he loves you just the same. And he gives you another chance, always. Dr. Mary Neal has a full interview, and we're going to push that out through our email updates this week. And so if you're not on those, please give us your email as you leave. But I wanted to give you a couple minutes of the end of her uh, interview, would you watch Dr. Mary Neal? And we then reached this threshold, and I was there for what felt like many, many hours. And while I was there, uh, I had many uh, profound parts of this experience, but one of which was the sense of understanding, of, of getting it, understanding the divine order of everything. And one of the things that was so important to me is coming to an understanding of how it can really be true that there is a God who is real and present and that there's a God who actually knows each and every one of us, all billions of us on the planet, loves each and every one of us as though we're the only ones and has a plan for each and every one of our lives that's one of hope. And for me, that was life-changing. Yeah. And it should be life-changing. Yeah. 
And, and then I got kicked out. And then, <laughs> <laughs> they, it was traumatic. What, what did they say? Uh, I was told that I, it wasn't my time. I still had more work to do on earth and that I had to go back to my... I did what I think any reasonable person would do. And I said, I'm good. I was told I, everything was fine. I, I can stay. And uh, as I said earlier, I'm a doctor, not a lawyer. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and as part of that um, discussion of whether I could stay or not, I was then told about some of the work I still had to do, including this mandate to share my experiences with other people and the coming death of my son and some other things. And then I was taken back down this path and reunited with my body. And, you know, I, I, I think it's important because um, so many people uh, would say, well, why, why wouldn't God give us all that experience, right? I mean, that would make it so much easier, right? Well, it would. And I've had many, many people say, gee, I really would love to have your experience. But what they're really saying is, I'd like the spiritual experience, but I don't really want to drown or break my legs or do any of that. <laughs> the coming back. Uh, yeah. And I asked that question for a long time. Yeah, because, I mean, and in your book you write uh, about see, seeing Jesus and asking right. him, why doesn't everybody right. have this experience? And the fact is there is great power in using the free will and free choice with which we're created. And even Thomas, if you go back to the Bible, I mean, Thomas was like me. He wanted to stick his finger in the hole and... Christ said, <laughs> you know, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And I said for many years. And he years, said the same thing to you? He did. And I for many years I said that, you know, I, I lost my faith and I was very sad about that. What do but you mean? it was replaced with a trust. Oh. Because it re was replaced with knowledge. But the fact is, even though Christ said that and even though it is true, I would say that actually everybody can see. Because I absolutely believe that although not everyone's going to have the dramatic experience I had, every single person can experience God's presence in their life and experience God's miracles. Mm -hmm. If they look for them, if they acknowledge them for what they are. Yeah. Maybe some of you are skeptical today. You're skeptical of these kind of stories of religion. Maybe you're skeptical of the Christianity thing, of Jesus rising, that there is an afterlife. Um, first, to you, we want to say thank you for being here today because that's a big step and that does not go unnoticed. Uh, secondly, I want to challenge you with this, and it's exactly what Dr. Mary Neal said, that just like Thomas, what, what we believe in this place is that Jesus will give you enough to believe. I don't know what that is for you, but I, I, I don't know if it's an experience or just a, a nugget of truth or just somebody coming alongside of you and loving you really well. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I know that Jesus will give you what you need to believe. There are actually things, intellectual, historical, physical evidence, that are reasons to believe that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, was raised to life by God. Wait a minute, what, did you just say physical? Yeah, I did. Let me give you three of them really quickly. Three things, three physical, I can touch them. One of them is baptism. One of them is communion. The third one is Sunday morning. 
Do you realize that all three of those things that we do every time we get together on a Sunday, we, we, we baptize people, we have communion together, all of those things came out of a resurrection. If you're a group of Jewish people in the first century, none of these things are things that you begin to do without great cause to do them. And yet, Jesus' believers, overnight, started worshiping on a Sunday. Why? Because he was raised on a Sunday. Overnight, they begin to drink the blood and share in the flesh and pass these emblems around as a reminder of what Jesus did. Why? Because he was resurrected to life. And overnight, they begin to baptize people, dunking them under the water and actually raising them up just like Jesus was raised to life. None of that makes sense except for the resurrection. And that's physical evidence, hands and feet. You can touch and see it. If you want to trust Jesus, you have enough to do so. But not everybody does. And I don't think it's intellectual. I don't think it's uh, because you don't have the right argument. I think mostly people choose not to believe because of their experience. And that's exactly where Thomas was. Thomas, when Jesus appeared to the disciples, he was off grocery shopping or something. We don't know. He wasn't there. And when he came back with the kale for the juicer or whatever, they all said, Jesus was just here. And he said, Jesus is dead. And they said, no, he appeared. He came to us. And they began to explain. And Thomas felt left out because he wasn't around. Maybe that's you. Maybe you just feel left out. I didn't grow up in the church. I don't know much of the Bible. I'm not sure how to act really. I'm not sure really what to say. Maybe you just feel left out. Jesus will give you what you need. Eight days later, Jesus shows up again. And this time it's to a group of people that includes Thomas. And the account is amazing because Thomas doesn't really say a thing. And yet Jesus walks straight to him and says, I hear that you need something from me. How did Jesus know? That was eight days earlier. Jesus wasn't there. He knows because he's God and he knows what you need. He said, Thomas, touch, touch my hand. Touch my side. That's what you need to believe, right? Here it is. And as a result, Thomas believed and was the first Jew in human history to say of Jesus, my Lord, and my God. And our prayer for you is that Jesus would give you what you need. It is enough. And that you would say, He is Lord and God as well. For those of us who are believers, there's another message in this for us. The message is that the resurrection gives us enough to get to work. When Paul writes about the resurrection and how our bodies will be raised in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he winds his way down to where, O oh, death, is your victory. Death is wiped off the map. Therefore, and he says, we would expect him to say, let's throw a party so that we can celebrate death being defeated. But he doesn't. He says, therefore, get to work because you know that nothing you do for the kingdom of God is in vain. Every energy, every effort you exert that is based in a resurrection of Jesus does not go wasted. What does that mean? It means that whatever you do, painting or 
or playing or teaching or selling or writing or healing or building or designing or creating, whatever it is that you do that God's wired you up to do in your little corner of life, if it's done in the power of the resurrection, if, if it's done so that other people love God and love each other better, if it's done so that his kingdom is expanded, it is worthwhile. And it does not go to waste. So get to work. Do I have evidence for the afterlife? Absolutely I do. His name is Jesus. And he is a savior that was killed, died, buried, three days later, rose to life. And what we love most of all for you in this place is that you would meet him today. Or at least, maybe if you already know him, take your next step to get him to know him better. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for stories that affirm our faith. Thank you so much that these kind of stories simply echo what you've already told us to be true in Scripture. Would you fill us with your life? Would you fill us with your love in such a way that those who don't know you yet will get a glimpse of the life that is coming for them, the life that is waiting for them in the name of Jesus? And would you turn all of our hearts to this great Savior in whose name we pray, in the powerful, strong, victorious, loving name of Jesus, everybody said, amen.